0: Uh, We are continuing through our sermon series on the gospel according to John, which uh, has taken a while. It's been uh, a long time as we've been looking through it. And last week on Easter Sunday, we got to the part of John's record about the resurrection and then Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. But the story does not stop there. Jesus didn't stop there. John records other encounters with the resurrected Jesus, each one more powerful and more personal than the next. So let's listen to our next encounter with the resurrected Jesus. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us this morning. Oh God, we come to You this morning after a week that may have been great, it may have been long, it may have been tiring, Uh, it may not be done yet. And each one of us needs to hear from You this morning. And so I pray that You would send Your Spirit to us. Help us to hear You speaking to us through this record of John's. Help us to hear the words of life for us through you. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You might have heard about the chance encounter in 1995 on a Stanford prospective student tour. A second year grad student named Sergey volunteered to lead this tour for students who had already been admitted but hadn't made the decision to come to Stanford yet. And by pure chance, a young engineering major from the University of Michigan named Larry Page was on his tour. They didn't get along on the tour. They actually kind of fought according to the story. But several months later, Larry Page's dissertation on the World Wide Web turned into a bigger project which needed a prototype. This search engine needed to be built. He had called it Backrub, but he couldn't build it himself. So, he reached out to an old friend, the man who led his prospective tour, Sergei Brin. He asked him to come and help build this search engine, which they changed the name, thankfully, to Google. Someone that he knew from a random chance encounter. One meeting led to the change in a course for the entire internet, and perhaps the lives of most of us in this room. One chance meeting changed the course for most of us. The disciples have a similar experience here in this passage, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, their friend, their teacher, their God, And it completely changes their lives. He completely changes their lives by what He brings to them and what He says to them. This is John's recording of the Great Commission. And you might have heard the Great Commission as it was recorded by the other gospel accounts, it's a lot longer. Jesus says, Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission that most of us have heard before. And it's often uh, preached on as pastors take apart each of the individual imperatives. What does Jesus mean when He says go? What does Jesus mean when when He says, baptize, make disciples? How does this apply to us? John's record is much more simplistic. He summarizes all of that into a short encounter that is no less powerful. Yes, Jesus sends the disciples out, but the simplicity of John's record highlights for us the fact that Jesus also brings something to them. Jesus brings and Jesus sends. Just two points for us this morning. The resurrected Jesus brings peace and the resurrected Jesus sends servants. We start with what Jesus brings. The resurrected Jesus brings peace. This encounter happens in the evening after the morning where the disciples get to the tomb and it's empty. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene that morning. She probably goes and tells the disciples, and they're all together in a room. Not all of them, there's 10 of them there. Judas isn't there for obvious reasons. Thomas is missing too, and we're going to talk about Thomas next week. But at least these 10, perhaps more of the disciples who had been following Jesus, are gathered together, and the door is locked. They're scared. Jesus was killed they're sad. Jesus was killed. And it is in this moment of vulnerability and brokenness that I think we can most easily identify with the disciples. We're able to understand what they were experiencing, sympathize with them in this moment more than any other moment in the Gospels. They're just trying to figure out where they stand in life, What's going to happen tomorrow? What are we going to do for the rest of the week? They're physically separated from Jesus. They're trying to hold on to His every word, every memory, wondering how He will change how they live the rest of their life, even though they're gone. Their minds are probably darting between hopelessness and sorrow and full-blown planning and responsibility. How do we get out of here? What do we do next? How can we go back to fishing after everything that we've experienced? Day-to-day, month-to-month, sorrow, brokenness, all of it swirling together, and I think that that can easily describe most of our day-to-day lives, how we live in and out of every moment. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like how you woke up and felt this morning? or maybe went through your week last week. Jesus shows up. The resurrected Jesus speaks two simple words to these frazzled, afraid, broken disciples. Irene humen. Peace to you all. Peace. Jesus emphasizes this giving of peace by repeating it twice, peace to you all. That's exactly what the disciples needed at that moment, and it's exactly who they needed to hear it from. And you and I are no different. We need the same thing from the same person. We are looking for the same thing, peace, deep peace, Not just 20 minutes of silence, not just a clear, quiet mind, not just a steady heart that is undisturbed by the chaos of life around it, but peace that settles our souls, helps us feel steady throughout our life, and enables us to engage with whatever the world throws at us. That's the kind of peace that we're all looking for right? And I know that you are looking for it because you experience the same chaos in the world in our relationships that I do. Thomas Merton, who is a monk and a writer, he diagnoses our lack of peace this way. He says, we are not at peace with others because we're not at peace with ourselves. We're not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God." Turmoil here between me and God breeds turmoil in here, inside, which leads to turmoil out there. We all want peace. And whether we know it or not, we need peace out here, in here, and between God and ourselves. And there's only one solution to this. Only one solution the resurrected Jesus. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus brings us that peace because He is our peace, the only source of peace. Jesus' presence brings peace to the lonely and the scared. His words bring peace to ears that are cluttered with noise and voices, distracted by the chaos around us. The resurrected Jesus brings peace Because of His work on the cross, repairing the relationship between God and all of those who trust in Him, Jesus' presence post-death, in person, resurrected, brings peace because it secures hope that the future is never as dark as the present day, no matter what's going on. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know for sure that God is working renewal and order and new life into the world. Resurrection, the resurrected Jesus, is peace in the midst of chaos. Now, I can understand how trite it might feel to hear me say, Jesus brings you peace. I mean, if we were to start listing all of the things that drive the crazy in our lives, most of us would be here all day. Peace? You might be thinking, how can I have peace when my life looks absolutely nothing like I thought it would, looks nothing like I think it should? How can I have peace when I'm living so far away from my family and I feel like I'm constantly disappointing them? How can I have peace when I live with my family and I feel like I'm constantly disappointing them? How can I have peace when I'm not sure if I'll have a job tomorrow? I've been on 15 dates the past year, and I still feel alone. I've been married for 10 years, and I still feel alone. My kids drive me crazy. They destroy all the things in our house, and then they act like perfect angels in front of other people. How am I supposed to have peace? I'm not sure what's happening to my parents. How can I have peace? I don't know where I'm going to live next year. My boss has no clue how hard I work. How am I supposed to have peace? Because Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. All that chaos, all those emotions, those are all real. But Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. I'm not saying forget all that stuff. I'm not saying ignore it all. None of it matters. What I'm saying is Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. And it's easy for us to to hear that, to take that truth, and to try and press it down on top of all that crazy and push on the chaos, hoping that just like a diamond, out's going to pop some kind of peace but it's actually the other way around. The most fundamental truth for anyone who follows Jesus is that He rose from the dead. He is the peace upon which everything in life is built, the foundation, the very bottom, the solid, firm foundation, which means that all of the uncertainty, the housing, the job, the family the relationships, all of it rises and falls upon the truth that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. You don't need a solution to all those problems so you can have peace. You need an encounter with the resurrected Jesus so that whether or not you find a solution to those problems, you have peace because you have Him. It's so easy to get overwhelmed with the problems in our lives, to feel like the world is throwing so much at us that there's no way we could overcome it. That Satan's really out to get us and there's no way we can survive. Which is why John writes in his first letter, 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, this powerful reminder. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. At the end of the day, no matter what happens, the very bottom last thing is that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. It's solid. He's sure. It is peaceful because it is Him. But peace is given not just for you. Peace is given to you. Jesus gives Himself to us so much that we overflow, and peace, Jesus, goes out from us to other people. Peace is not just given for the recipient, not just to benefit me, but it's also equipping us to be sent out to others, right? Jesus gives peace, and He sends servants. Jesus gives peace, the resurrected Jesus sends servants, He sends them out just as He does in the record of the other great commissions. Jesus here in verse 21 says this, As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. As the Father sent Me. That's the same way that I'm sending you. Now, think about that. That's a pretty powerful commission. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus refers to being sent by the Father, to show that His words, His authority, His power, even the mission itself, comes not from Jesus, but from God, the Father. Jesus is saying, this is not just me making this up. I'm not just here to do something because I thought it would be fun. I was sent here. I was given authority. I was given power, and I was given these words, and I was tasked to serve. Jesus employs the same sending when He commissions the disciples here in this room and every disciple of Jesus from that point on. How should disciples go out? Just as Jesus went out serving. The Apostle Paul writes this in the book of Philippians. He says, Jesus emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, Paul concludes, those who follow Jesus should do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility we should count others more significant than ourselves. Just as Jesus serves, we serve. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus adjusts our focus from self-service to serving others. But I think this is where the rub is for many of us. This is the hard part of following Jesus, maybe because we're afraid of what it will look like, maybe because it's very uncomfortable for us to think about serving others. I much more like to consider how the resurrection benefits me, affects me, changes me, How does forgiveness make me feel? How does forgiveness change the way I behave next time? What does this new life shift in the way that I think about myself and view myself in my own life, right? And if we strip away all of the niceties and all of the theologizing, it's just a selfishness that I pass through the filter of the resurrection so it can't be wrong, right? I'm thinking about Jesus. So, it can't be wrong. But if it stops there, with how the resurrection impacts me, how it makes me feel, how it changes me and how I view my life, then it's not new life, it's just new wallpaper on the old life. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus propels you outward, out from yourself to serve others, to serve those that you work with, those that you work for to serve those that you live with, whether they are roommates or they are your family, your spouse, your kids, the people in your community, your neighbors, those here in the church, those who live around the church. An encounter with the resurrected Jesus sends you out of yourself into the world to serve. But serve how, you might be wondering? What am I supposed to go on mission trips? Am I supposed to give money? supposed to feed the poor? Am I supposed to serve in the children's ministry or in the tutoring program or volunteer to help at VBS? Yes, all of that. Those are all amazing ways that God is calling you to serve. And I would encourage you to do all of those things. But here in this passage, Jesus gives one simple and specific act of serving others, and that is forgiving others verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus says, go out and forgive. Now, it might sound like what Jesus is saying here is, hey, I need you to go forgive other people because I don't know who I'm supposed to forgive. So, if you forgive, then I'll apply the resurrection to them. And if you don't forgive, I won't apply to them. So, I'm trusting you to do the right thing here to help me know how to forgive people and of course that's ridiculous only god can forgive sins and he has through the life death and resurrection of jesus the particular words that john writes here tells us that forgiveness or not forgiveness is something that has happened in the past and is affecting the future that's the verb tense that is used here so in other words what jesus is saying here is go out and forgive because their sins have been forgiven. And if you don't forgive, it's because their sins have not been forgiven. The commissioning of the disciples here and throughout all of history is Jesus sending His brothers and sisters, you and I, into the world not just to talk about forgiveness, but to show it, to bear it, to extend the forgiveness that He accomplished on the cross through His death and resurrection. And it is as we forgive others, as we ask for forgiveness from others, we bring the peace of the resurrected Christ into a chaotic world. And it is when other people meet Jesus through the forgiveness that He accomplishes that their lives are changed. Nikki Cruz was born into a family in Puerto Rico that had 18 brothers and sisters. His parents were practicing in witchcraft every day. They regularly abused him, beginning at the age of three and a half. At nine, he survived a failed suicide attempt. He describes growing up as being filled with bloodshed and mayhem, recounting how one time his own mother, Called him the son of Satan while she was in a satanic trance. At 15, Nikki's father exiled him to go to New York City to live with an older brother, but he was so upset with his family and disillusioned that he left his brother, never stayed with him, and took his chances on the streets. Within a year, he had become a member of the notorious Brooklyn street gang known as the Mau Mouse. and within six months, he had risen through the ranks doing all the things he needed to to become their leader, their warlord, as he was called. Not long after that, his best friend, Manny, was jumped and stabbed repeatedly and bled out in Nikki's arms. He was arrested countless times, and a court ordered psychiatrist pronounced Nikki's fate as hopeless, writing, He is destined for prison, the electric chair, and then hell. Until one day, David Wilkerson, a skinny country preacher, showed up and began to preach the gospel to this gang. Nikki hated David. Beat him up several times. Spit on him. Seriously threatened his life. But David persisted. He came and he served the members of this gang by feeding them and proclaiming forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus to them. And one night, through David's love and service, Nikki met the resurrected Jesus. He describes it this way: his own words. It was if I had been admitted to a Holy Ghost hospital. I saw myself laying on the table. Jesus walks to my side. He opens my chest, takes out my heart and kisses it. He then places my transformed heart back into my chest and raised me up a brand new creation. Life changed. Peace given. A servant sent. Nikki renounced gang life almost immediately, became a passionate evangelist who would share the gospel with anybody who would listen. And within a few years, he helped co-found Teen Challenge, which is a ministry you might have heard of that helps bring peace to youth by helping them overcome addiction and find new life in Christ. One encounter with the resurrected Jesus brings peace and sends us out to serve. We all need an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Maybe for the first time, but maybe for the 20th time, or maybe the 200th time, the resurrected Jesus meets us, brings us peace, and sends us out to serve. Pray with me that we would encounter Jesus this morning. Oh God, our Father, You sent Your Son To live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, and rise victoriously from the dead. To bring us peace. So we ask that You would help us encounter Him this morning. As we sing, as we pray, as we partake of the Lord's Supper in just a few moments, bring Jesus' resurrected life into ours through the power of Your Spirit. Give us new life. Bring us peace, the peace that only You can give. Give us yourself. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.